Pastor Schelling, and it's a joy again to be with you. If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, take the time to turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And thank you again for all your kind hospitality. I realize what time it is. I realize that I'm the only thing between a nap and fireworks today. So I will take the advice that Moses gave to Pharaoh, let my people go. And we, I just want to be an encouragement to you this afternoon, if I could. Here we are on a day of celebration. We've already talked that it, today's a good day, isn't it? We enjoy these celebration days, don't we? We have a lot to celebrate. And I couldn't give you a stronger salutation. I couldn't give you a stronger hope than the passage that we're going to talk about today. You're there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verse 13, if you will. Are you there? Say, yee-haw. You sound like Texans. This is wonderful. You're making me feel right at home. Okay, you're there at verse 13. Here we are. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. Keep reading, Calvinists. Through sanctification of the Spirit and, here it is, belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation... And good hope, through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. If I could condense down my hopes for our local church right here, right now, it would be these verses that we just read. And really, we have a, an amazing truth that we find seated in a great doctrinal portion of Scripture. When you think Second Thessalonians, think the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Think that there's nothing historically that needs to happen for the Lord to come and come for us and take his saints home with him. He's going to come for his saints, and then next he's going to come with his saints. Amen. We are Baptists. That means we're people of the book. We've agreed on the book. We believe that from cover to cover, this is God's word. This is thus saith the Lord. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. We are people of the book. It's the book that has the authority. The Bible, God's holy word, Jesus is the word of God. We're also people of the blood. There's no other way, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ and he shed his blood for us. He shed his blood on the cross and it's the only way that we can experience a home in heaven and salvation from our sin and for our souls. We're people of the book, we're people of the blood, but we're also people of the blessed hope. It flies on our flag. We are comforting one another with these words that the Lord is coming soon. Could I remind you one more time, Jesus is coming soon. I'm not looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for the upper taker. I'm looking for him to take me out of this place. And it should be like, uh, Paul mentions it, like he's standing at the door and knocking. Imagine if I were to say to you, uh, that Jesus is coming here in 24 hours. He's coming to this place. 
He's going to fly from Heathrow Airport in London, and he's going to come right to Cincinnati, and he'll be here in 24 hours. Get ready. Could you endure what you're going through for another 24 hours? Yeah, absolutely. Imagine I said, uh, somebody picked him up from Cincinnati, and he's already on his way here. So whatever that Uber ride is from here to there, that's as long as it's going to take to get here. Can you wait that long? Can you abide that long? Can you remain under? Can you be comforted that long until he gets here? Oh, yes. Imagine if I were to look out those windows on that back door. Imagine he's here and he's about to come through the door. That's how we should live every day. He's standing at the door. He's about to come through. And it's our blessed hope and our comfort that he's going to take us off of this planet and make all things new. So we get this wonderful truth, but don't miss this. Encased in the sandwich of the doctrine of the imminent return of Jesus Christ, we have a blessed hope, a comfort here, a comfort here. Look with me at verse 16, and you'll see two words that I want you to highlight if you're in the habit of highlighting or underlining. Underline those two words, everlasting consolation, please. Everlasting consolation, because that word consolation is the exact same word as the first word of verse 17. And what's the first word of verse 17? Say it loud. Comfort. Okay, in Christ you have now and forever comfort. Everlasting comfort. And that's a truth that's not just, okay, I understand that I have comfort. I know about comfort. Comfort comes with three scoops of ice cream after a long Sunday and uh, kicked up in my recliner and uh, watching Jeopardy. No, that's not comfort. It's a temporary comfort. We call the blanket that we put over us when we go to sleep a comforter, but there's nothing that compares to this kind of comfort because it's everlasting. And if I could say this, if I could bottle up or make a pill or a diet, or a seminar, or some sort of formula that could bottle up this kind of comfort mentioned in the text, I'd be a millionaire. I'd put out of business the industries that generate billions and billions of dollars due to pharmaceuticals, essential oils. I didn't come here to start a fight, I promise. <laughs> or uh, or uh, drugs psychotherapy, or even alcohol. They, that promises to be a comforter. Did you know that there's a brand of liquor called Southern Comfort? Uh, one of your deacons told me about it. <laughs> no, it, it, said, it promises to be a comfort. Uh, there was a rocker named uh, Janis Joplin who was famous for singing, in one hand holding a microphone, and in another hand a bottle of southern comfort but my question is what kind of comfort did it offer her because at age 27 she died of an overdose it obviously wasn't a a comfort that lasted but we have in Christ right now and forever an everlasting comfort and if I could give a title to our short message today it would be everlasting comfort and it's so important you have it now Aren't you glad that the Word of God brings us encouragement? It doesn't leave us in the depths of despair. Even if you were to read the stories of Elijah and David and Apostle Paul who lists his sufferings and Job, 
The God of grace, the God of comfort doesn't leave us there. You see victory following at the end of Psalms. You see Elijah taking a nap and eating lunch and experience some victory. You see Paul, after he lists his sufferings and his successes, he says, I count it all loss that I may know him in the fellowship of his suffering. I want to know Christ. And if you want to know Christ and what he's done for you, look no further than the comfort that he gives you. John said it this way about Jesus. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I, I can tell you that that is the, that's the standard, that's the default setting of everybody. Fear and trouble, that's what everybody's in, in Christ, or outside of Christ. But in Christ we have comfort. This is so important for us. Uh, I think we're in an age of anxiety. Uh, we used to call our generation, the age of outrage. All you need to do is just post any opinion whatsoever and then get an equal and opposite opinion. Um, and everybody was so angry and mad about things. You can still see that. But right now they're calling it the age of anxiety. Everybody's anxious about the future. Nobody knows what's going to happen politically, historically. They don't know what's going on. Where does anxiety come from a Christian? It's when a Christian fixates on the least and most unimportant and most temporary things that are in their life. So we aren't to concentrate on the things that are temporary. We're to concentrate on the things that are eternal or everlasting. If you've recognized any bad in me, I could probably take the blame for it. Or if any bad that's happened to me, here's even better news for both of those scenarios, it's all going to burn up. And it's not going to last. If you notice any good in me, Christ has done it all, and he gets all the glory for it, and it's going to last forever. That's what Jesus is doing in our life. And I can show you three ways that he's doing it. He's doing it, he's a comfort to, number one, the lost. He's a comfort to the lost. Look at verse 13, please. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. Now, this is one of my favorite descriptions of who you are. Don't just call each other, hey, Brother Johnson. Just go the whole way. Say, brethren beloved of the Lord. That's who you are, right? That's a great description because it's true. Jesus loves you and he's given us this important truth for the lost because he has chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. It's an everlasting comfort because we have everlasting, S-A-L-V-A-T-I-O-N, we have everlasting salvation. It starts at faith in Christ and it never, ever, 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 ever stops. Now follow this carefully, the most important single need of the human heart is salvation. But I don't have to convince you about that, you know that inherently. Man's heart is empty. It's constantly looking to fill the, its hungry soul with all kinds of comforters that don't last. Now, we've, heard, we've all heard of comfort foods. I don't mind talking about food after we've eaten. Things like Krispy Kreme donuts, macaroni and cheese, 
Um, these are things, regardless of their nutritional value, that uh, provide some sort of uh, nostalgia or sentimental value. How about chicken fried steak? How about biscuits and gravy? For some of you, it's different. Listen, I went to college with a bunch of folks from Ohio. Um, I feel safe in saying this because I'm on the Kentucky side. Um, and they kept talking about Skyline Chili this and Skyline Chili that and Gold Star Chili that. And I went there. I tried it. I, I had an open mind. And I, I usually am an equal opportunity eater. I came from Texas. It's, everything's bigger and better in Texas. Spicier in portion sizes. Oh, my goodness. And even the people that eat a lot. So I went to Skyline Chili, and could I sell, tell you that it's underwhelming? They over-promised and under-delivered. It's just spaghetti with chili, and they try to mask it with a bunch of cheese, too. That's not comfort food. Have it five ways. And so it is for our hungry soul. Uh, we, we can't get enough. We try to fill it with everything, with success, with religion, uh, with our own personal success, with money. And guess what? It does satisfy for a moment. And it leaves you hungering still. And so it is for our hungry soul. Luke chapter 16 tells of two people, a rich man and Lazarus. That rich man had every material, temporary pleasure that you could imagine. He was clothed in purple, had some, maybe some royalty, uh, fine linen. Maybe he had some status in the religious community. It said he fared sumptuously every day. Um, his clothes were toga Ralph Lauren. Uh, he, it, he had everything. He lived in a gated community. He had everything that this world had to offer but when he died, it said he didn't cry out for a spiritual comforter. He didn't cry out for the only thing that could satisfy his soul. What did he cry out for? One more drop of cold water on the tip of Lazarus' tongue, or the tip of Lazarus' finger. And what did he say? What did Abraham say? He said, you're tormented, but now Lazarus is comforted. He had everlasting comfort in the presence of God for all of eternity, not because of what he did, not because of what he sought, but because of Jesus alone, by putting his faith in Christ. Today, we have everlasting comfort because there's an everlasting salvation. You may need another car. You may need another phone. You might need to change your glasses prescription. You may need another body. But you'll never need another gospel, and you'll never need another salvation, and you'll never need another savior. That's everlasting comfort, because it's an everlasting savior. Jesus said this, and Jesus saith unto them, I'm the bread of life. He that cometh unto me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. He's the water of life. He's the bread of life. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He is exactly what you're looking for. That's everlasting life, and it brings everlasting comfort. I'm comforted now, and I'm comforted forever because the greatest need of my life is completely satisfied in Jesus Christ and his salvation. There's a certain candy derived from the movie Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, 
And they're called everlasting gobstoppers. But here's my question. Why is there more than one in a box? Because that's the world's idea of everlasting, right? Uh, satisfies for a little bit, but then it leaves you wanting more and more and more. Uh, celebrities and famous people and powerful people have always been entertained by and curious about religions of the East. Did you know that in Steven Seagal's house right now, on one end, there are Buddhists chanting, and on the other end, there are numerous Hindus reciting the Vedas. And at the middle, there are psychics and soothsayers. And they're all people that were hired to live with him to practice every form of religion in the world. Trying it all. Michael Jackson tried Jehovah's Witness, but also Scientology, but also the Nation of Islam rolled up into one, obviously coming up hungry still. But I prefer the words of this particular poet, poem by E.E. E. Hewitt. Her pen name was Liddy Edmonds. And she had a spinal condition that left her shut in in her home in the late 1800s. And she thought, what can I do for the Lord and for my primary class that was across the street at her church? Well, I can write some songs for it. Incidentally, she wrote, when we all get to heaven, there's sunshine in my soul and this little song. My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. We have an everlasting comfort to the lost because we have everlasting salvation. And if you're not saved, you can have this kind of everlasting comfort by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. It's an everlasting comfort to the lost and everlasting comfort to the least. It's true. Notice how powerfully the love of God is stressed in our text. Verse 13 calls us beloved of the Lord. Look at verse 16. God, even our Father, which hath loved us. Circle it, highlight it, underline it. God loves you. It's true. Now, you know this, that there's nothing more painful than the feeling of rejection, right? And even if you've tasted of what the world calls love, what's the best definition of what the world calls love? That's romantic love, and it's still very selfish. It's what you mean to me. But Jesus gives us agape love, a self-sacrificing kind of love. And he loves us, and he proves it. He doesn't just say it, he shows us. Um, are you tempted when you get a wedding invitation of a certain couple, instead of bringing china, you want to bring paper plates because of the fleeting nature of love? I officiated my sister's wedding out in North Carolina, and uh, I came across some wedding vows that were traditional except for uh, a little phrase. I want to see if you could pick this up. It said, to love and cherish as long as love shall last. I've known some people that wouldn't have made it through the honeymoon if it was as long as love shall last. Compare that to Jesus' love in Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation? Shall distress? Shall persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness? Or peril? Or sword? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither height nor depth, 
death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is a reassuring kind of love. That is an everlasting love. We have everlasting comfort. Why? We have everlasting salvation, and we have everlasting love. And who shall separate us from this love? Nothing and no one. And that's a comfort that we can take comfort in. Did you know what the world thinks of you? You probably already know. They call you strangers and pilgrims. And the off-scouring of all things unto this day. You know the hard stuff to get off pans after you cook? That's what the world thinks of you. It's true. But you know what God thinks of you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the so great salvation kind of love. First John chapter 3 describes this love this way. Behold, take a look. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. That's everlasting love. And therefore, it brings us everlasting comfort. Number three, and finally, it's an everlasting comfort to the loneliest. Look at verse 16, please. Circle it, highlight it, underline it if that's your habit. Look at that last line. And we, we've given everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Good hope through grace. Um, good hope is not, I hope the Dallas Cowboys go to the Super Bowl. That's a meager hope. This is good hope. This is everlasting hope. A Scottish pastor once said, the most profane word that you can use toward a believer is hopeless because it's an attempt to slam the door in the face of God. There's never a situation in a Christian's life that's described as hopeless. In fact, God is the God of all comfort and he's the God of hope. Romans 15 verse 13 tells us that. There will never be a situation like hopeless in a Christian's life. Think of some hopeless situations. I can think of one. What about stage four cancer? How many of you have ever known somebody with stage four cancer? Here's the truth. Here's the hope about that. I've seen God heal stage four cancer. Number two, if he doesn't heal it here, he heals it there. That's good comfort. That's good hope. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. That's a good hope, that this world isn't all that's left. Rachel and I were walking through a market setting on, a, on our honeymoon, and uh, somebody invited us over through persuasive uh, gesticulations and histrionics, come on over to try out a new moisturizer. And they put it right here on the side of my eyes. And I guess that's where I needed it. But later on in the day, it started flaking up and falling off. Did you know that there's a moisturizer called Hope in a Jar that's available with two-day shipping on Amazon? Could I let you know that Hope in a Jar is false advertisement? 
No, Christ gives us this. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is good hope. And I could, could I remind you, that's hope in a jar. That's truth in earthen vessels. That's hope that's inside. God does all of this work from the inside out. And verse 17 is the proof of it. Comfort your hearts. Okay, remember you're going through the same things that the world is going through, but you're doing it with the abundant hope that God gives you. And here's what I know about things that are full. If you're full of hope, uh, I used to assign my littlest children to set the table as one of their earliest chores, and they'd fill up the water and they'd make it make their way to the table, and I usually have to take a towel and come by and clean up their path that they'd made. Because here's what I know about things that are full. Things that are full tend to spill out everywhere. And you are full of the hope of Jesus. So in your life, you ought to be spilling out hope in every conversation. Every conversation should look like a gospel conversation. Every appointment that you have ought to be a divine appointment. This is a constant abiding comfort. We're overcomers. We're winners. I'll end with this. Look at chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. What's going to happen to those that trouble us? All the trouble that we're going through, God's in control, remember? Verse 6, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. God is going to give them their comeuppance. He is the one who's in charge of the scales. He is going to make every wrong right. That's not our job. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. But I've circled, highlighted two words in the next verse, and maybe you can do it this way. And to you who are troubled, I stopped right there, and I put a question mark. And I said, troubled? Yep, that's me. And then I put an exclamation mark after the next word. Troubled? (sighs) Rest. And to you who are troubled, Rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Remember, that's our comfort, that the Lord is coming soon to take us into everlasting comfort. Pain and problems are temporary. The comfort that Jesus gives us is eternal. And that is what we should be focusing on. Yogi Berra said of the 1969 Amazing Mets, we were overwhelming underdogs. And I think that's an accurate description of who you are in Christ. You're going to go through pain, you're going to go through problems, you're going to go through suffering, but you're going to come out a winner. You're going to come out as an overcomer, more than conquerors. And that's who you are in Christ. Trouble is temporary, rest is forever and ever. And all of the hardships and the worst things of this life are going to be gone. And that's why we have everlasting comfort. God wants to comfort you so that you can, in verse 17, be full of the good word and the good work. You ought to be comforted in reading the scripture, God's message to you every single day. There ought to be a time that you spiritually renew yourself every single day. Will he hear your praise tomorrow? Will you seek his face tomorrow? Will you read his word tomorrow? 
There needs to be a time of spiritual renewal. I, only, I, I should only pray and read my Bible and seek his face on the days that I breathe and eat. There's a, there's a name for people that don't breathe every single day, and that's dead. We've got to renew ourselves from the inner man every single day and live in this kind of comfort, filled with the word and every good work. Did you know that God's will is meted out in the local church? So if he's going to do something on this planet, he's going to do it right here. Sign up, volunteer for what God's doing right here. What messages need to be preached? What ministries need to be started? What things need to be done in this community that can only be done with your skill set and gifting? Sign up for what God is doing on this planet. God's will is being meted out through this church. Aches and pains and heartaches and debts are temporary. But the salvation, the love, and the hope of Jesus Christ is everlasting comfort. The mercies of our Lord are from everlasting to everlasting to them that fear Him. Let's all stand together. Nobody's looking around. Today we've gotten into the Word of God and we've experienced, we've tasted the comfort. Accept no substitutes, please. God loves you. God cares for you and wants to do a work that you can't do yourself from the inside out by installing this hope. You say, Brother Johnson, I, I don't know about anybody else, but I needed this message today. This message, if it wasn't for anybody else, I needed it today. I want to pray for you. If that's you, just slip up your hand. I needed this message today. I see one hand, two hands. Anybody else? You needed this kind of encouragement and hope. If you're not saved, if you've never experienced the salvation that's eternal, today can be the day of salvation. There were several guests here today, several folks that maybe in a crowd like this have never received Jesus Christ. Well, today, today could be one of the greatest days of celebration of your life. Not only are we celebrating the independence of our nation, you could celebrate the dependence that you have on God. Would you put your faith in Him? If there's one that's not saved or not sure, would you leave your seat as soon as the note plays, come right to the front, we're going to do what's called an invitation, and you're invited to receive Christ. That's as clear as it is. If you haven't done it, or you're not saved, or you're not sure, come right to the front. A lady can minister to a lady, a man can minister to a man, and you can hear a clear gospel presentation, and you could receive this kind of comfort today. Most gracious Heavenly Father, would you bless each that heard today, bless them for their kind attention, and Lord, would you equip them for service tomorrow. Lord, everything's according to your will, but you've willed for us to have this everlasting comfort Lord, would you build us up through your word and work in Christ's name. Amen.